Open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Tonight we get into an exciting text. We're going to make it through halfway through the chapter and talk about something that's uh, no small matter of controversy to many people, and it's this whole issue of the gift of tongues. And uh, we won't talk uh, about everything uh, that there is to say about it here in chapter 14, because we're only going to get it halfway through the chapter, and there's a lot in the second half of the chapter that Paul relates to us, but we trust that the Lord will speak to us tonight through this portion. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Paul here at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, let us know that now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So it makes sense for him to begin 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, by saying, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. You know, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just brilliantly, brilliantly declared the preeminence of love for Christians in 1 Corinthians 13. And since love is the greatest, that's what we must pursue. That's what the drive is in the Christian life. That's what it's all about. It's not all about more power. It's not about all more status. It's not about more miracles. It's about more love. And that's what we should be looking for in our Christian life. Now, even though we're to pursue love, it's not wrong to desire spiritual gifts. That's what he says. In the next sentence there in verse 1, he says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Now, unfortunately, I think that the Corinthian church had messed up on this point. They had made a godly desire for spiritual gifts, which is fine, into an obsessive pursuit. And Paul says, don't. If you're going to obsess on anything, obsess on love. Can you imagine somebody saying, you know, well, the problem with that Christian is that they're too loving. No, that's not the problem. Now, sometimes people say that. They really don't mean that they're too loving. They mean that they're too mushy-headed is what they mean, you know, they're... They're, they don't have the, the backbone to know that saying yes or giving in to somebody isn't always love, right? But that's not being too loving. Can you imagine somebody say God is too loving towards you or towards somebody else? It's just nonsense. But if we're going to really pursue anything, let it be love. But it's not wrong to desire spiritual gifts. But notice what he says at the end of verse 1. But especially that you may prophesy. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul spoke of prophecy and the gift of tongues in the context of the other gifts. If you remember it in 1 Corinthians 12, it's not like he especially highlighted the gift of prophecy. It's not like he especially highlighted the gift of tongues in that chapter. He just said, well, you have helps and administrations and uh, teaching and tongues and prophecy. You know, it was just one among many. But here in 1 Corinthians 14, he makes a determined highlight upon these two gifts of prophecy and tongues. He's going to focus on them, and especially on how they should function in church body life. Obviously, we can say right from the outset, in the Corinthian church, there was an overemphasis on tongues, and there was an underemphasis on prophecy. Now, when he says, but especially that you may prophesy, what does he mean by that? Now, again, you should know, and I've spoken about this before on Wednesday nights as we've been going through 1 Corinthians. In the Christian world today, there's two pretty big different ways of thinking about these gifts that God gives to his people. There are many Christians who believe that God has stopped giving these miraculous gifts, that that's dead and gone, and when the apostles died, these miraculous gifts died with the apostles. 
uh, other people, uh, myself being among them, believe that God is still giving these miraculous gifts as he chooses to people in the church today. But those who believe that miraculous gifts are no longer being given by God, they oftentimes regard prophecy simply as inspired preaching. That's what Paul's talking about, they would say, when he says, but especially that you would prophesy. They'd say, yeah, let's get back to that good, honest, inspired preaching in the church. That's what's really important. Well, uh, I think that uh, they're definitely wrong on that point. Paul is going to tell us a lot more about prophecy in this chapter, but I can give you one big reason why to say prophecy is not identical to inspired preaching. Can I give you one very simple reason why? There's a word in the Greek vocabulary for preaching. Paul doesn't use it. If Paul meant to say preaching, he could have said preaching. But he doesn't use the word preaching. He uses the word prophesy. Now, what is prophecy? Prophecy is a sense of declaring something that God has revealed to somebody else's heart. And that's exactly what Paul is saying, that, uh, that we should, uh, far better than any other spiritual gift in the context that he's speaking of here, that we should seek to be vessels for the word of the Lord. Well, we'll see this a lot more clearly as we make our way through the chapter. Let's go into verse 2 there. He says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. He who speaks, excuse me, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Now, Paul is going to start comparing and contrasting the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. So maybe mentally, if you're taking notes, you can do this on a piece of note paper. You have two columns here. You have the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. Well, how are they different? And Paul's going to explain to us some ways that they're different. And the first way he explains to us in verses 2 and 3 is that the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues are different in whom they are speaking to. In other words, when you speak with the gift of tongues, you speak to one party. When you speak with the gift of prophecy, you're speaking to another party. Notice what he says there in verse 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Now, can I just read that again? Of course I can. I'm kind of in charge here. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Friends, that's such an important point. It's such an important point to see that when a person is speaking with the gift of tongues, they're speaking not unto men, not unto women, not unto people. They're speaking to God. Now, let me just tell you that if you forget this principle, if you disregard this verse, it will lead you to many significant misunderstandings about the gift of tongues. You'll believe that the gift of tongues is a supernatural way to communicate man to man instead of man to God. Now, let me give you an example of this. If you misunderstand this point, then you're not going to understand Acts chapter 2. Many people think that in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the disciples were given the gift of tongues, and when they were heard by the crowd to be speaking in the gift of tongues, many people think that the disciples were preaching to the crowd with the gift of tongues. Can I just tell you that's nonsense? They were not preaching to this multinational crowd. They were speaking to God, and the multinational crowd heard what they were saying to God. Listen what it says they were saying in Acts chapter 2, verse 11. It says, We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. They were praising God. 
Later on in Acts chapter 10, verse 46, when it describes other people speaking in tongues, it says, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Friends, when a person speaks in tongues, they're not speaking to people, they're speaking to God. Now, if we misunderstand this, we misunderstand what is really happening when somebody attempts to interpret a tongue and addresses his or her interpretation to men. A true interpretation of the gift of tongues will be addressed to God, not men. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a church meeting like this. I can say that I have. Where somebody at some point in the meeting, maybe it's in the midst of worship, maybe it's in some other context, somebody will stand up or maybe from their seat, they will start uh, talking in a language that nobody can understand. And oftentimes they talk in a very spiritual tone or very spiritual tenor. And it's kind of creepy to a lot of people. I mean, it's creepy to me, but you hear them talk and then it's kind of silent for a few moments. And then somebody gives what they suppose to be the interpretation of that tongue. And the interpretation goes something like this. My little children, if you only knew how much I love you, you know, and it's God speaking to his people. Can I tell you, that is not a legitimate interpretation of that tongue. If it were a legitimate interpretation, it would be speaking from man to God. Because what does 1 Corinthians 14, 2 tell us? He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. That's the third time I've read it. I want it to be impressed upon your minds. Now also, if we misunderstand this, we can be led to believe that the gift of tongues is just the ability to speak another language. That's what some people think. The gift of tongues, it's for missionaries so that they can go into other countries and preach the gospel. No! Can I read it again? For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. And might I say this? If we misunderstand this, we can misuse the gift of tongues using it in a way that draws unnecessary attention to ourselves. Now, friends, I... I if you know me or if you come to this church often or hear me preach, you know that I generally don't talk a lot about myself. And um, I need to step outside of that just for a minute and just kind of speak very directly and honestly. You know, I, I have the gift of tongues and I pray in tongues quite often. I dare say that none of you have heard me pray in tongues. Do you know why? Because I'm not talking to you. I dare say that I have prayed for many of you with you right there and been praying in tongues and you never knew that I was. Why? Because I'm not talking to you. What's the point? Either it would confuse you or frighten you or it would appeal to something carnal in you. You know what I mean? Ooh, wow, that's neato. Whoa, you know? And, and so either it would frighten you or it would appeal to something carnal in you. The bottom line is, I'm not talking to you. And that's why it can be disruptive in a church service where somebody is praying or praising or speaking in tongues and they may say, oh, I'm just doing it between me and the Lord. Well, then can I just ask, just do it very quietly unto yourself. Because you're not speaking to men, you're speaking to God. Praise the Lord. Do it. Go for it. As we're going to see later on in this chapter, you're not going to find a guy more pro-gift of tongues than the Apostle Paul. He was bold enough to say, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. 
That's pretty pro-gift of tongues, don't you think? But Paul said, in the church assembly, I'd rather speak five words in a language everybody can understand than 10,000 words in a language nobody can understand. So, friends, it's so important for us to understand that he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Now, I just need to deal with the other side on this issue because, again, there's a sizable segment in the Christian community today that says that the gift of tongues is not for today. And they have a very hard time with a verse like this. And I just have to be up front with you, and I... Men that I, on other terms, greatly respect their ability to teach the Bible and, and uh, you know, bring forth the scriptures, I think are just so, so wrong on this, it hurts. One man that I know, and he's not the only one who teaches it this way, he claims that Paul is speaking sarcastically here. And he's actually criticizing the Corinthians. It's as if he's saying... You Corinthians who speak in a tongue, you're speaking to God and not to men, but you should really be speaking to men, as if Paul actually meant the exact opposite of what he's saying here. Friends, I have to say that that's frightening to me, that somebody would interpret such a straightforward passage like this. Now, please, Paul uses a lot of sarcasm in First and Second Corinthians, and those are some of my favorite passages in the whole book, because Paul, Paul really knows how to lay it on these guys. I mean, and boy, he just cuts through it all, but certainly not here. And if we can say that Paul means the exact opposite of the plain meaning of the words here, we're on dangerous ground. What, are you going to apply that principle other places? When it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, it really means the exact opposite? No. Friends, Paul is saying what he means, and he means what he says. I'm going to say it one more time. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Now he goes on and he says, for no one understands him. Paul recognized that normally when somebody spoke in tongues, no one else could understand him. Why? Because the intention is not for anybody else to understand you. The intention is to communicate to God, not to communicate to man. Therefore, it's fine if no one understands you. Now, again, the exception to no one understanding you is when that tongue is publicly interpreted. But even then, it's not the tongue that's understood. It's the interpretation of the tongue, correct? Then he goes on in verse 2, and he says, For no one understands him, however, in the spirit... He speaks mysteries. When the tongue speaker cannot be understood, it does not mean that it isn't really language or that they're merely speaking gibberish. Friends, that's a very common term that people who don't believe in the gift of tongues for today apply to people who pray in tongues. They say, well, you're just speaking gibberish. I don't understand a thing you're saying. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's totally nonsense. Can I just tell you? For no one understands him, however, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Isn't that exactly what Paul said you would be thinking? Of course you don't understand a thing I'm saying when I'm praying in tongues. It's not meant for you to understand it. Of course it seems like a big mystery to you what I'm talking. Because to you it is a mystery. In the spirit I'm speaking forth the mystery. Now many people have done linguistic analysis of people speaking in tongues and have concluded, so to speak, that they're not speaking a real language at all. They're just jabbering and gibberish. Of course it sounds like nonsense to human ears because it was never intended for human ears. 
we should expect it to sound like nonsense because Paul plainly says, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. I don't know why men and women who are normally so faithful in understanding the clear meaning of the Bible just pass over it on points like this. Now, might I say this? This does not mean that all intelligible speech, excuse me, all unintelligible speech is legitimate gift of tongues, right? Somebody could just, you know, blah, 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 blah. Oh, that's my gift of tongues. No. It doesn't mean that all unintelligible speech is the gift of tongues. And some people, not understanding the gift, may imitate it or they may fake it, sometimes just to prove something to themselves or to prove something to somebody else. Friends, that's so sad. You know, a lot of people teach, and it's a, it's a, it's a very sad teaching, that you're not really filled with the Holy Spirit unless you speak with tongues. And so there they are at the prayer meeting, and, you know, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I want, who doesn't want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, you've got to speak in tongues. Well, how do you speak in tongues? Well, just start repeating after me. And the guy starts making some, just, just keep doing it, just keep doing it. And then you start feeling all awkward, right? Well, I, I don't want to seem unspiritual. I don't want to feel left out. Maybe. And pretty soon you're kind of manipulated into doing something that you wouldn't normally do just because you want something, but you're not sure. But it's, it's a very awkward, manipulative situation, isn't it? And that's not how God ever intended the gift of tongues to be. Now, I think it's interesting, too, when he says here, verse uh, 3, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Again, who's the audience when you're speaking in tongues? God. Who's the audience when you're speaking with the gift of prophecy? Men. Pretty simple, right? You don't need to prophesy to God, right? He doesn't need to hear it. And you don't need to hear it when somebody else is speaking the gift of tongues. So it works out just fine, right? Tongues is spoken to God. The gift of prophecy is spoken to men. Now, I also think it's interesting here in verse 3 how Paul says, He who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Not only is the gift of prophecy directed towards men, it is also largely positive in its character. Oftentimes, when somebody prophesies, they will give forth what we might call a negative word. And oftentimes, I would say those aren't from God at all. I wouldn't say every time, but oftentimes they're not. You know, my little children, you're full of sin and need to repent. What does Paul say the general character of prophecy is? Edification, exhortation, and comfort. The general character of prophecy is to be encouraging. I think a lot of times when somebody speaks one of those downer prophecies, I think God is just speaking to that individual. You know, instead, so they want to slough it off. You know, God's saying, you're full of sin and need to repent. Yes, Lord. Okay. Uh, Hey, everybody, you're full of sin and need to repent. And God in heaven is going, no, I just meant you. But you see, oftentimes just the opposite happens when it's a word of, uh, of edification or exhortation or comfort. God's saying, you know, to a person, you know, tell them how much I love them and that I just want to comfort them this evening. And you say, oh, thank you, Lord, just for your comfort and love. No, I wanted you to tell them. I'll just keep that one for myself, Lord. Thank you. Oh, 
Now, what is edification? Edification is building up. It's a construction term, and it speaks of our being built up in the Lord. A word of prophecy will build someone up, not tear him or her down. Exhortation. What's exhortation? Exhortation is encouragement. It's like the speech from the coach in the locker room saying, listen, we've practiced this. We know the playbook. We've worked really hard. Now let's go out and do it. That's what exhortation is. Let's go do it. A word of prophecy will encourage somebody. It won't discourage them. And then comfort. Comfort has the idea not only of consoling somebody, but of strengthening them. Comfort, in the biblical sense, it doesn't just cry with somebody hurting, but it puts its arms around them and strengthens them to carry the load. A word of prophecy will strengthen somebody, not weaken somebody. Now, you get the contrast here? So the first contrast between tongues and prophecy, tongues is spoken to God, prophecy is spoken to men. Going on now, verse 4, here's another area of contrast between tongues. Prophecy and tongues contrast in whom they edify or whom they build up. Who they're for the benefit for. Verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Well, Paul says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Now, again, folks who believe that the gift of tongues isn't for today, and I think wrongly approach these passages of Scripture, they wrongly think that Paul says this as a criticism. Well, look at you, tongue speakers. You're just edifying yourself. Their idea is you, selfish Corinthians. You're using tongues only to edify yourself when you should be using it to edify others. But I think that's wrong. Friends, it's just simply in the nature of the gift of tongues to edify oneself. Since he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, there I got it in again from verse 2, it follows that it is a gift for self-edification, not generally speaking for church edification, right? So the gift of tongues is for my own relationship with God. On the other hand, prophecy edifies the church. Because a word of prophecy can be understood by everybody, a true word of prophecy builds up everyone. So Paul says in verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues. Paul was positive about the gift of tongues. Now, because of the tone of this chapter, some people might come away from it thinking that Paul was down on the gift of tongues. And like he wanted to go to the Corinthians and say, hey, knock that stuff off. You know, you, you're getting too wild out there. Not at all. Paul valued the gift of tongues in his own life. Might I ask you to take a look at verse 18 of this chapter? 1 Corinthians 14, 18. Paul says, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Paul doesn't say, Paul just doesn't say, I do it. He says, I thank my God that I do it. So, friends, Paul valued the gift of tongues in his own life, and he wanted other Christians to speak with tongues. Why? Why did Paul want other Christians to speak or to exercise the gift of tongues? Well, no doubt because he knew the value it had in his own life. You see, Paul says that in the gift of tongues, someone in their spirit speaks mysteries. And Paul knew the value of, in his spirit, speaking forth mysteries to God to unburden his soul 
in a way going beyond human language and in a way going beyond human intellect. When Paul prayed with the gift of tongues, he could pray, he could praise, he could intercede beyond his ability to understand and articulate. And Paul wanted every Christian to know this same blessing. Paul's just saying, look, it's a blessing for me. I want everybody to be blessed by this. But, he says, notice this in verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Now, as good as the gift of tongues is, Paul sees the gift of prophecy as better for the church as a whole. Why? Because with the gift of tongues, you're edifying yourself. With the gift of prophecy, you're edifying the church. Now, is it wrong to edify yourself? No. But might I remind you of something that our Lord Jesus said, that it is better to give than to receive. Friends, if you ever have the chance to receive a blessing or to give a blessing, give a blessing. Because then you're going to receive one too, and then you get the double thing. You get two scoops instead of one. It's always better to give than to receive because God always gives to you when you give to others, so it's always better. Friends, you see, that's why Paul has the focus here. Notice it at the end of verse 5, that the church may receive edification. Paul is speaking in the context of 1 Corinthians 14, mainly of church life and when the church gets together. That's why he so much more highly valued the gift of tongues than the gift of prophecy. Not because he was down on the gift of tongues, but he's talking about what they do together as a church. See, Paul's context in 1 Corinthians 14 is more focused on what the Corinthian Christians do when they come together as a church than on what they do in their own devotional life. Friends, do you understand that there are things that are fine for you to do in your own devotional life which may be disruptive, annoying, or self-exalting for you to do when you're together with other Christians? Let me put it to you this way. Sometimes I find it just marvelous to walk while I'm praying. I'll go for a walk and I'll pray. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's just, I don't know, it's just, you just, just something feels good about it. Now go for a walk and I'll pray. Now, what if I'm here at church and I say, you know what, I just really need to draw close for the Lord. And I start walking laps around the, the sanctuary praying. And people say, what is that guy doing? And I'm totally distracting everybody in the whole church. But I say, hey, I'm just seeking the Lord. I'm being blessed. Now, you know what, maybe I am being blessed. But I'm being blessed at the expense of everybody else. So you know what? When I'm alone with God, walk all I want. Praise God. Knock yourself out. But when you're with other people, you have to respect them and realize that we come together, not for our own little bless me club. We come together to be blessed together. And therefore, I'm not going to worship God. I'm not going to pray to God. I'm not going to approach God in a way that is distracting, in a way that's annoying, or in a way that's self-exalting. In my own time with the Lord, when I'm off on my own, I might raise my hands like this and sort of jump up and down, just scream, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. If I do it here, during the midst of a worship service, it's just going to distract people. What's going to happen then in the room? 
the focus will instantly go off of Jesus Christ and it'll go on me. Everybody, what'll that, what's that person doing? Now, if you've ever dealt with individuals in a church body like this who are doing these distracting things, oftentimes they're maybe, I don't know if it's innocent or not, but they're just ignorant. They're just like, well, I, I, that's just how I praise the Lord. Well, God bless you. Praise the Lord all you want like that. Just do it at home. When you come together here with us together, you don't have the right to take the attention off Jesus Christ and to put it on yourself. So that's the idea here. Since Paul is focusing on when the Corinthian Christians come together as a church, it's clear why he regards the gift of prophecy as greater. Now, let me propose something, and I know I'm getting a little bit speculative here, but you follow me on this idea, and you judge for yourself. I think if someone were to come up to the Apostle Paul and ask him, which is greater for one's devotional life, the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy? Now, Paul's told us which one is greater for church life. Which one is greater? The gift of prophecy, right? But if you were asking Paul for your devotional life, which one is greater? He'd go, the gift of tongues. Who am I going to prophesy to when I'm just me and the Lord in my prayer closet? Because the gift of tongues is better. See, so it's not an idea so much of tongues is all bad and prophecy is all good. It's a matter of context and setting. Going on here in verse 6, Paul says, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you, either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Paul recognized that the gift of tongues is valuable for himself, but it was not valuable for him to speak to others with the gift of tongues. They couldn't understand him, so they couldn't be edified. So Paul says, instead, I'm going to speak by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. And I have to say that these four terms in verse 6 sort of struck my eye as I was studying. What does Paul mean by those four different terms? I'm just going to suggest some things here. I think when Paul says revelation, if I come by a revelation... I think that Paul may be speaking of his own awareness that he was uniquely inspired as an apostle. This business of inspiration and the inspiration that took to uh, bring forth the New Testament, it's very intriguing to me. I mean, when they were writing the New Testament, were they aware that they were writing Holy Spirit-inspired eternal words of God? I don't know. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Maybe sometimes they did, maybe sometimes they didn't. I would venture to say that sometimes they did. And Paul, when he's talking about revelation here, I think he's talking about times when he just knew it. He says, man, I know it. I'm speaking in my apostolic authority, and God is speaking to me through a unique revelation way that that kind of authority, that kind of revelation, it did die with the apostles. There's nobody who has the authority to speak to the church the way the Apostle Paul did, or Peter, or James, or John. Friends, they gave us their testimony, and the foundation of the apostles and prophets is set. So I think that's what he may be referring to when he says revelation. Notice there in verse 6 also, he says, either by revelation, by knowledge. Paul may be speaking of his own knowledge, or he may be speaking of supernatural knowledge given by the Holy Spirit. Whichever, the knowledge could be communicated in a language common to everybody, so it could profit everybody. Then he says, by prophesying, again, Paul's speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with a sense of God's thoughts and God's words being communicated and blessed by the Holy Spirit. And then also, he says, finally, there, by teaching. 
I think Paul there is talking about speaking from the scriptures themselves and teaching them as was his pattern in the churches that he founded. Now, he's going to go on here, and in verses 7, 8, and 9, talk about examples demonstrating the importance of this. He says, verse 7, Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Now, a musical instrument must use a certain pitch and beat to communicate a tune or a melody. If they don't, then the music isn't accessible to the listener. Sounds are coming forth, but they can't be understood. And the same is true as for a trumpet that makes an uncertain sound. It's of no profit for others. Now, it may feel good for a child to bang on the piano, right? Got a piano over here, a child comes over there and just starts banging on it. And the child loves it. Oh, this is great. You know, I like the sound. But for anybody else listening to it, it's unpleasant, even annoying. Now, friends, even so, when we're communicating to God with the gift of tongues, we may be blessed. We're like the child banging on the piano, right? We may be blessed, but nobody else is. So what Paul's saying, when you come together with everybody, don't bang on the piano. You want to bang on the piano at home? Fine. But don't do it in a context that's going to be disruptive or uh, be distracting to other people. Let them do so unto themselves. So he says, you're just going to be speaking into the air, he says there in verse 9. Speaking in tongues at a meeting of the church benefits nobody else. It's simply putting sounds into the air, not into the minds and the hearts of others. Now, it may satisfy somebody's curiosity to hear someone else speak in tongues. You know, when I talked earlier about, I say, you know, I pray in tongues and this and that, I, I imagine that probably a few of you here tonight said, ooh, I hope he does it. I want to hear what it sounds like. Because you're curious. I mean, I'm a curious person. It's like, wow, I, you know, wow, I wonder what it's like. You know that? You know what? It, it's irrelevant to satisfy your curiosity. It, it's just not the point of it. You see, we may think it's neat to hear other people speak in tongues, but it's more of a soulless kind of curiosity than it is a spiritual edification. Oh. And then something just came to mind, you know, the, the most ridiculous thing you see. I don't know if you've ever seen this. If you've never seen it, God bless you, you're much better off. <laughs> but if you've ever seen on the Christian television... Oh, it's painful to even talk about. Oh, if you've ever seen on Christian television the two evangelists who will get up on the platform and start speaking in tongues to each other. It's just the most absurd, unbiblical, stupid thing in the world. And they're just speaking into the air. It's an act. It's a, it's a gig. It's, it's not a God. Verse 10. There are, if it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. In other words, Paul says, yeah, there's all kinds of languages, and it's just a matter of knowing it and knowing the significance. You know, language is a gift from God. It really is. 
Do you know evolutionists cannot explain how language came about? They just can't explain it. Most modern linguists believe language is so unique, and the ones that don't believe in God, they say, well, it must have been a unique evolutionary process. In other words, one they can't figure out at all. Let me explain it to you this way. Language could not be the product of man putting together sounds all by himself. No human being invented language. You know one of the ways linguists know this? Is because there are many universal human sounds. There are many sounds that are made among all peoples. I'll give you an example. You know the raspberry sound. You kind of stick your tongue out and, and blurt, you know. That sound... You know, that sound does not exist, does not mean anything in any human language. Now, if language was invented by man, it would make sense that in some language, at least, that that would mean, you know, dog or house or something, right? But it doesn't. As linguists study the issue, they, language was not invented by man. Language is so complex because languages exist as whole systems, not as little parts put together. So knowing that language is a gift from God and that all languages have meaning, we can trust that if we speak in the gift of tongues, God understands. Even if no one else, even if we including ourselves, do not understand. God understands. That's the whole point. When I pray in tongues, I have an agreement with God. I agree not to understand, but to trust that the Holy Spirit is praying through me exactly what needs to be prayed. And God agrees to understand perfectly what the Spirit is praying through me. It's that simple. He goes on on the same thought here in verse 12. He goes, Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Again, at church meetings, the goal is mutual edification. So if someone does speak publicly in tongues at the church, there really should be an interpretation because the tongue in itself doesn't edify anybody. Now, people say, or people might think, listen, if the tongue itself can't edify, then how can the interpretation edify? How can my prayer to God edify you? Well, have you ever read the Psalms? David prays to God all the time, right? In the Psalms, and you go, oh man, that's exactly how I feel. You see, somebody else's prayer or praise or plea to God can just so perfectly identify with where your heart is to God. It unburdens your soul to hear it and to agree with it. So Paul says, therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. I think it's interesting how he says that in verse 13. Let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. I think Paul is kind of giving a clue in a way that the gift of tongues can function in body life. Let's say God is speaking to your heart something in tongues and you feel that he wants you to communicate to other people. Well, just pray that you may interpret it. And don't even bother speaking out the tongue. What's the point of that? Just speak out the interpretation. And then everybody's blessed and nobody's weirded out. Just do what Paul says in verse 13. Let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret you know, if you ever feel, God, are you putting something in my heart? It's, a, it's an unknown tongue. I don't know if I should share. Just, you know, just say, okay, Lord, I just pray that you'd give me the interpretation of this, and I'll share the interpretation with everybody. Isn't that a great way to do it? 
And Paul just tells you right how to do it there in verse 13. But I want you to notice there in verse 14 how he points out that if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Friends, again, speaking in tongues is communication with God on a spiritual level, bypassing our understanding. My understanding does not benefit when I pray in tongues, but my spirit prays. Now, again, I think it's so interesting here. What does Paul say that your spirit does? Again, I always get back to this point of tongues is speaking to who? To God. He says, when I speak in tongues, my spirit prays. Who do you pray to? You don't pray to people, you pray to God. So he's emphasizing that again. But, you know, the whole point there in verse 14 is that our understanding is bypassed. Now, let's just be real honest and upfront here. And I don't say this in any judgmental way whatsoever. For some people, the idea of bypassing our understanding in communicating with God, that's totally undesirable. You don't have any desire at all to do that. And you know what? I don't judge you or condemn you at all. Don't feel like you're a second-rate citizen in the kingdom of God. If you're like, you know what, man, that speaking in tongues thing is weird. I don't want any part of it. I feel just fine with my ability to communicate with God the way it is. God bless you. Don't, don't feel like you're any less, like you're a second-class citizen, that, you're, you, know, that you, you don't got the e-ticket ride and God's kin, and forget it. And friends, some people just don't feel a need to relate to God through any other means except their understanding. But I have to say for myself, and I'm just speaking personally, and I, I don't mean to, to put anything on anybody else. But for myself, there's lots of times where my own understanding, my own rationality just isn't enough. I fall short. See, I value my intellect. I value my understanding. And I think it's important that as Christians, we never uh, sell short intellect. Jesus said that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. It's important for us to seek understanding and intellectual strength as Christians. But friends, we also appreciate the limits of our understanding and the limits of our intellect. And we thank God for a way to relate to him that goes beyond them. So if someone is perfectly satisfied with their ability to relate to God through their understanding, they really have no need for the gift of tongues. Friends, Don't seek the gift of tongues to prove to yourself or to prove to somebody else that you really have the Holy Spirit or that you really love God. Ask God for the Holy Spirit, trust that you have him flowing in your life, and love God. But in the process of loving and living and walking with God, if you feel hindered in your ability to relate with God, if you wish that you had a tool of communication with the Lord that bypassed your own understanding, then when that day comes, when you desire to relate with God beyond your ability to understand, then you should seek God for the gift of tongues. Now, I should bring up another point here at verse 14. If our understanding is unfruitful, then how does one actually speak in tongues? How does it work mechanically? Now, friends, everybody's experience, I suppose, is slightly different. But generally, I think we can make some observations. First of all, 
It does not happen as someone just sort of opens their mouth and lets God take over. It does not happen as they begin to wiggle their tongue and let God take over. It does not happen as they are told to repeat a nonsense word or phrase faster and faster until God takes over. You know, I know churches that have classes teaching people how to speak in tongues. Man, that makes me want to punch somebody when I hear that. That really gets me in the flesh. That doesn't get me into the spirit at all, I'll tell you that right now. That's like saying, I'm going to teach you how to, the gift, how to have the gift of miracles. We're going to teach you how to have the gift of prophecy. Listen, it's a gift given by God. But it is interesting to, to understand or to think about how it works because many people are confused. I mean, how do I speak in a, how do I speak to God in language? I don't know. How does that work? Well, actually, I, I would say that the language of tongues works much like languages we understand. A, a word or a sound occurs to our mind, right? And we vocalize that word or that sound. In the gift of tongues, one simply continues to speak the words and sounds coming into their mind, trusting that God is prompting us and that he understands what we're saying and that what we're saying is perfectly appropriate for the moment. Now, I remember when I first prayed in tongues, I was a teenager. I'm supposing I was maybe about, oh, 16, 17 years old, and I was in my room. And I was reading a book, and I don't even remember what the exact book was, but it was a book talking about uh, the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what God wanted to do and the gifts of the Spirit. And I said, Lord, I want this. So I got down on my knees and kind of laid up over my bed, kneeling on the floor. And I just said, Lord, I, I I want everything you have to give to me. And as I prayed there, I just had, you know, suggested in my mind certain words or phrases that I didn't understand. Now, right then, you're faced with a decision, aren't you? It, it feels kind of foolish to speak those things. And it feels foolish because you don't understand them. But that's the whole point. Look, if you don't want to communicate with God in a way that goes beyond your understanding, then you don't want the gift of tongues. But if you do want it, then you just need a little bit of courage to step out in faith and to speak forth those words or phrases that come into your mind and trust God that what he's speaking into your mind, even though you don't understand it, that he understands it and that it's perfectly appropriate for the moment. And all I can say is that in doing that, I just felt such a wonderful confirmation in my spirit that God was answering my prayer and listening to my prayer and hearing the cry of my heart. And just this marvelous sense comes that yeah, I'm, I'm praying exactly what the Lord would want me to pray, even though I don't understand exactly what I'm praying. Now, for some people, the question comes up at this point. They want to know if it's possible that somebody could be speaking in tongues and without knowing, be saying the most horrible blasphemies. You know, occasionally, the language that somebody gives to speak in tongues is a known language that somebody may know. Uh, let's say, uh, you know, there's, uh, uh, for example, people in the room tonight here that, that know Hungarian, and if somebody was to speak rapidly in Hungarian, you know, it might send, repeat a phrase over and over again. It might sound very, you know, um, strange. It might sound just like gibberish. 
But if somebody who knew that native tongue was listening, and let's say that person came and said, oh my gosh, you won't believe what they're saying. They're speaking forth the most horrible blasphemies against Jesus Christ. And some people have said that this happens as a way to frighten people from the gift of tongues. Friends, can I just tell you what Paul said beginning this whole section in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. He says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. Don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. If you're seeking God, he's not going to turn you over to the devil. Can we just agree on that together? If you're seeking God, he's not going to turn you over to the devil. So I don't know. We just don't need to be afraid of that. Now, let me say one other thing relevant to this whole, you know, the, the, just kind of the nuts and bolts, if you want to say that, about speaking in tongues. We can also remember this other general principle, and that's in 1 Corinthians 14.32. Skip ahead a little bit. We'll get to this verse next week. But in 1 Corinthians 14.32, we read, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And friends, I don't think that that's relevant just to prophecy. I think that's a general principle when it comes to spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit does not make us do strange, bizarre things. In other words, if I decide or if I desire to pray to God with the gift of tongues, I can shout it, I can scream it, I can give it in a weird-sounding voice, but it's not God making me do that. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. They're not like, whoa, it came over me and I couldn't help myself. You know, so often when people are doing weird things and they're doing it in the name of the Holy Spirit, that's their excuse, right? Instead of saying the devil made me do it, they say the spirit made me do it. Friends, can I just say it? The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Oh, my heavens, my wife related to me once an incredible illustration of this. She was at a meeting where this kind of wild foolishness was going on. And uh, over here were some people writhing on the ground, and over here were people screaming and wailing, and over here were people walking and flapping their arms, clucking like chickens. And over here were other people just kind of, you know, doing the most bizarre spasmodic gestures. And it, was just the, it just looked like bedlam. It looked horrible. I mean, it was just that. And if you would ask us, well, what's going on? They, oh, the Spirit's making us do it. Oh, it's the Spirit. Oh, the Spirit, the Spirit. You know, it's just, we can't stop. You know, it's just beyond us. Nonsense. The Spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. You want to know how it was nonsense? Because when the guy leading the meeting wanted to get their attention, he said, whoa, whoa, everybody. And they all stopped and listened to him. Well, oh, I guess, well. Obviously, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. So friends, the Holy Spirit will never make someone shout in tongues or speak in tongues in a strange manner, though they may do it on their own initiative. But they should never credit it or blame it to the Holy Spirit. I can't say it's ever happened to me as I think of it now, and I'm not looking for it to happen any time, believe me. But I've been to meetings where the preacher's preaching and somebody stands up and starts shouting out in tongues. You ever seen that? Talk about getting somebody in the flesh. That really makes me want to punch somebody out. But it's never happened to me while I'm preaching, but I've seen it happen in the audience. And when I've been in the audience, the, 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 the preacher, the speaker, did a very wise thing. You know what he did? Well, you don't just ignore it and hope the guy will go away. <laughs> Hopefully you have a crack team of ushers that are going to come and take that guy out and pistol whip him out in the parking lot. No, I'm kidding about that. No violence. 
No, but the, the idea is what the preacher said was as the ushers were immediately mobilizing to assist the gentleman, the guy just simply said, no, no, no. He said, no, sir, you're out of order. The Holy Spirit doesn't compete against himself. We're in the word right now, and God is speaking to his people by the Holy Spirit through his word. So he doesn't compete against himself. You're not speaking by the Spirit of God. So, I don't know what happened to the guy after the ushers took him out. Uh, there were no reports of bodies found the next day or anything. So, I'm joking purely, of course. This isn't going on tape, is it? All right, let's finish up our section for this evening, beginning here at verse 15. It says, what is the result then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen, it's your giving of thanks, since he doesn't understand what you say? For indeed you give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul gladly proclaims, I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding. I'll sing with the Spirit and I'll sing with the understanding. Paul used the gift of tongues often. And he used it in prayer and he used it in singing. Yet, when he was with God's people, he said, you know what? I don't do it. I'd rather speak five words that everybody can understand than 10,000 that nobody could understand. Don't you think it's interesting here that Paul just makes the point that his use of tongues was pretty much focused in his devotional life. It was a private thing. And then Paul here makes reference to how we can also sing in the Spirit. You know, God can give us the freedom to exercise the gift of tongues in a melodic way so that it flows in with worship. Now again, based on principles of this chapter, if you're led to do that while we're together, don't do it in a way that draws attention to yourself, right? Don't do it in a voice or in a key or in that, that that's drawing attention to yourself, but in the context of worship, if God's just putting a, a song in the spirit in your heart, go for it. Just don't do it in a way that draws attention to yourself or distracts other people. But notice this, he says here in verse 16, otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he at your... He who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen, it's your giving of thanks. Paul says, listen, if I'm speaking a language nobody can understand, who can say Amen? I think it's interesting, Paul's implying here that, you know, at his meetings, people said Amen. Nothing wrong with people saying Amen uh, during the sermon. Although I've got to say, it's always annoying to me when, when preachers are asking for it. You know, can I have an Amen? Is anybody alive out there? Do I have a witness? Ah, oh, you know, it's just kind of, it gets kind of annoying after a while. But friends, there's nothing wrong with something. I, I know when I'm listening to a good preacher, I'm going, amen, amen, yeah, yeah, go for it. You know, and I'm not doing it loud, but man, I'm doing it to myself. I'm like, yeah. My brother was once at a, uh, uh, a black church, and uh, he was sitting right behind a guy. And the guy just, it's the best thing I've ever heard that, that you could say during a sermon. Once the preacher would get going, the guy, he wouldn't say amen. He wouldn't say thank you, Jesus. He wouldn't say that. He'd say, make it plain. Make it plain. <laughs> and you know, isn't that what preachers need to hear? Make it plain. Make it plain. I love that. I wish every preacher could hear that. Sometimes I want to say it. I want to hear it when I'm listening to a sermon. I just want to shout to the guy, make it plain. 
Sometimes I'm going along myself and I say it to myself. What am I talking about? Make it plain. I don't... So anyway, when we're gathered together with other believers, the bottom line is this. I can't just do my own thing and say, well, it blesses me. Look, it might bless me to shout out, amen, hallelujah, every time the pastor says something good. I may get the best blessing in the world from that. But you know what? You're going to annoy everybody else. You're going to distract them. You're going to most, you just put the focus on you instead of on Jesus. So when we're together, the concern is mutual edification. So Paul saw great value in the gift of tongues for his own devotional life before the Lord. He says, I thank God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet, when he was gathered together with other Christians, his concern was to be a blessing, not with getting a blessing. 